This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. A video of the talk is also available along with more downloads on our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk. If you'd like to join us in person, our talks take place at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. So I'd like to take a few minutes then, this afternoon, taking you through this subject of Jesus Christ, the ultimate sacrifice. If I was to ask you uh, what would be the ultimate sacrifice, then, then I dare say you would agree that the ultimate sacrifice is to give your life for somebody else. So surely that is, that's the biggest sacrifice uh, that you could make. Now that's true, um, what I'd like to do for the purpose of this, uh, of this presentation is to show that actually Jesus, whilst he did give his life um, for his friends, uh, that's a Bible quotation right there, that Jesus laid down his life for his friends, actually the, the nature of Jesus' sacrifice is even better than that. You know, So if you're thinking that the biggest sacrifice that anyone could make was to lay down their life for their friends, then, then my purpose over the next few minutes is just to show you that when we open our Bibles and learn about the sacrifice that Jesus made, that actually it is, it is even greater, greater than that. Uh, let me show you what I mean. Uh, we've um, just read together from Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 5, and it'd be helpful if you could have that, uh, if you could have that open and, and, and look at what I'm showing you here, because uh, this is the first step I would like us to take in seeing that Jesus' sacrifice is, is even greater than someone who, who laid down there, who offers their life for their friends. And, and if you're there in Romans chapter 5, we find it here uh, in verse 6. Romans chapter 5 and verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Okay, so let's just uh, think about that for a minute. So what we've been told here is that, is that Jesus died not only for his friends, but also for ungodly people. So Jesus then, as the Bible presents him to us as the Son of God, um, we're now seeing that Jesus was willing to lay down his life and to make the ultimate sacrifice, not only for his friends, but for people who are not trying to follow in the way that his God and his Father wish them to. Now let's just take another couple of verses uh, here. Verse 7, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now then, that's a, that's a bit more remarkable when you think about it, because what we're saying here is that Jesus not only laid down his life as a sacrifice for his friends, but also laid down his life as a sacrifice for people who are, who are sinners people then who are enemies you know enemies of God because they're then they're not doing what God wants them to do and and all of a sudden just by taking um the the sequence of these three verses from our Bibles uh, we've taken this to a new level haven't we because we're not just looking at Jesus making the ultimate sacrifice because he laid down his life for his friends he's he's made the ultimate sacrifice because he's laid down his life also for his enemies that's there in verse 10 of this chapter if we were 
enemies if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son much more being reconciled we should be saved by his life and what the the writer there is talking about is a process that's talking about well well look if if at the point where you came to Jesus and you committed your life to him up until that point you were an enemy and yet many thousands of years ago 2,000 years ago Jesus anticipating that laid down his life for you when you were still you're still an enemy so do you see that we've gone from jesus laying down his life making that sacrifice for his friends to also making that sacrifice for his enemies could you imagine doing that imagine making such a sacrifice for anyone but even for even for your enemies well well that's the nature of the sacrifice that jesus made so hopefully we've seen that we've made a bit of a progression there. Or at last, what I'd like us to do now is to, is to think a little bit about this word sacrifice. Sacrifice. Uh, and to see that Jesus was, was making a sacrifice when he laid down his life. Uh, and this is a, a principle that we see running throughout our Bibles. And, and I'd just like to give you a little taster of this principle. If you'd like to turn back in your Bibles, please, uh, right back to Genesis chapter 3. Uh, where we see the first example of, of a sacrifice, where a sacrifice was, was necessary. Uh, here in Genesis chapter 3, uh, we find ourselves with Adam and Eve. And uh, Adam and Eve were given a very clear instruction uh, that they could eat of all the trees in the garden, the Garden of Eden. Any that took their fancy, they were welcome to, to eat of the fruit of those trees, but they must not eat of the fruit of this one in particular, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it was made very clear to them that if they did take of that fruit, they would die. You know, it was, it was not like a mystery that they got to figure out. This was absolutely in black and white for them that this was the choice God had put before them. Now, what happened was that they found it just too tempting. I mean, it looked like good fruit. They were told that actually if they add this fruit, they'd become super wise. So they thought, why not? Let's take it. And, and there you have temptation in taking its hold in the, first, in the first family that we find in our Bibles. But when they'd done that, they realized they were naked which is a little odd because they were naked a long time before that but all of a sudden they realised this was the point all of a sudden they were struck by the fact that they were naked and so they tried to do something about it verse 7 of Genesis chapter 3 the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons entirely logical you might say they realise they're naked so they take of the resources that are in the garden around them and fashion something that was going to mean that they would be covered it looks good but it wasn't good enough and so because it wasn't good enough God provided them something that was better God provided them with a better covering than these aprons that they'd made themselves. And you find this in verse 21. Uh, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. So you see, Adam and Eve made themselves a covering. That wasn't quite good enough. And then God made them a covering, and that was good enough. And so it begs the question, doesn't it? Well, what's the difference between these two coverings? They seem to both do the job. They both cover their nakedness. But one was acceptable in God's eyes, and the other one wasn't. Well, the one was made of leaves, and the other was made of an animal skin. And in order for that animal skin to be able to be used as a covering, of course, the animal had to die, didn't it? That, that meant that the, 
there was a sacrifice that had to be made in order for their indiscretion to be covered. It wasn't good enough from the pages of our Bibles for, it to, for them to be covered by these leaves. They had to be covered uh, by these skins. And as we say, then in the provision of these skins, an animal had to be sacrificed. Here then, right back in the, in the very beginnings of our Bible, we have what I like to consider uh, the principles of sacrifice. And the principles of sacrifice are these. First of all, that sacrifice is necessary following sin. That, that, that when a man or a woman decides that they're going to ignore God's commands and go their own way, then actually that is, that is sin, that is wounding a relationship between man and God, man or woman and God. And, and if they've, they've done that, then what the Bible teaches us is that a sacrifice is necessary. So that's principle number one, that following sin, a sacrifice is necessary. Principle number two then... Uh, is that sacrifice requires blood to be shed. Yeah, you see that when you say, well, what's wrong with the aprons of, of, of leaves? Well, they weren't good enough because they needed, uh, the sacrifice had to be associated with, with blood being spilt. This is what we see then, just right at the very beginning part of our Bibles here in, here in Genesis chapter 3, these two principles that come out loud and clear. Now, if it's a principle we should find it running right the way through our Bibles. I'm going to take you to the next chapter, to, to Genesis and chapter 4. And here you've got another case study, uh, which is really interesting, coming hot off the heels of, of chapter 3 and what we've just talked about there. Because here in Genesis chapter 4, you've got two men bringing their own sacrifices to God, and one's acceptable and one's not. Now let's have a look at it. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 3. In the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstling of his flock and of the fat thereof. So you've got these two brothers then. They both bring a sacrifice. So that's good, isn't it? Because if you look at the principles of sacrifice, what we see in the first one was that sacrifice is necessary following sin. So these two men, they're doing the right thing, aren't they, by bringing a sacrifice. But one of them falls over on principle number two. Because principle number two says that sacrifice requires blood to be shed. And Abel's sacrifice was an animal, which meant that blood was spilt in bringing the sacrifice. Whereas by contrast, Cain's sacrifice was the fruit of the ground, which of course, like the fig leaves didn't need blood to be spilt do you see how you get this the principle set up there in chapter three and then you get it worked out in the following chapter where it teaches us that this wasn't just a one-off in genesis three but it was part of a principle that god's setting down uh, principles of sacrifice and so therefore in chapter four and verse four the lord had respect unto abel and to his offering but verse five unto cain and to his offering he had not Respect. This should hardly have come as a surprise to Cain because it had been made very clear to his parents as that with, with sacrifice, well, it's necessary following sin and it requires blood to be shed. So I hope you see there, we've set out this, this principle, or rather God set out this principle right early on in Genesis that says sacrifice is necessary following sin and furthermore, a sacrifice has to include blood being spilt. Now, 
A little later on in our Bibles, uh, we are with uh, the children of Israel after they've been rescued by God out of, out of Egypt and, and all the display of God's power that was there with the plagues brought them through the Red Sea and then, of course, was required, God was required to give them a code of conduct, how they were meant to live now as God's people. Now, I'd like to show you uh, this in particular in, in the book of Leviticus, uh, Leviticus chapter 4. And my purpose for bringing you here is to show that this principle that we've seen set out there in Genesis chapter 3 and followed up in chapter 4 is still an active principle here in Leviticus chapter 4 many years later. Now, uh, now just have a look at what I'm, I'm sharing with you here and, um, and bear in mind as we look at the particular commands that are given, bear in mind the principles of sacrifice that we learnt about in Genesis, that sacrifice is necessary following sin and that sacrifice requires blood to be shed as well. Right then, well, Leviticus chapter 4, and let's have a look in verse 3. This is where we're going to be told, or rather the children of Israel were told, what they were meant to do if the priest sins. So Leviticus 4 verse 3, If the priest that is anointed do sin according to the sin of the people, then let him bring for his sin, which he hath sinned, a young bullock without blemish unto the Lord for a sin offering. And he shall bring the bullock unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord, and shall lay his hand upon the bullock's head, and kill the bullock before the Lord. So, if the priest sins, this is what he's got to do. He's got to bring an animal as a sacrifice for his sin, and he needs to kill it there, right there before the presence of God. Come down to verse 13 of this chapter. What happens if everybody sins? Uh, chapter 4 verse 13 if the whole congregation of Israel sin through ignorance and the thing be hid from the eyes of the assembly and they have done somewhat against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning things which should not be done and are guilty when the sin that they have sinned against it is known then the congregation shall offer a young bullock for the sin and bring him before the tabernacle of the congregation so if the whole congregation sin even if it's by ignorance right they've still got to bring a sacrifice for their sin and you notice there that the sacrifice was an animal blood had to be shed third example still in this chapter here uh, verse 22 what happens when a ruler or a king makes a, a sin uh, verse 22, when a ruler hath sinned and done somewhat through ignorance against any of the commandments of the Lord his God concerning the things which should not be done and is guilty, or if his sin wherein he hath sinned come to his knowledge, he shall bring his offering, a kid of the goats, a male without blemish, and he shall lay his hand upon the head of the goat and kill it in the place where they kill the burnt offering before the Lord. It is a sin offering. Did you see how you've got these examples piled up, these three piled up one on top of each other, where over and over again what's being taught is, regardless of whether it's a priest or everybody or a ruler, if they sin, a sacrifice is necessary, and the nature of that sacrifice is blood has to be shed. So we've seen it, the principle set out in Genesis 3. You've seen a case study in Genesis 4. We've seen a case study in Leviticus 4. And it's summed up in the New Testament, if you join me please, in the book of Hebrews and chapter 9.
Hebrews chapter 9, and we're going to drop in just in verse 22. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. You know, it's crystal clear in black and white when we get to the New Testament, an explanation of why those laws were what they were back there in Genesis 3 and Genesis 4 and Leviticus 4 as well. Hebrews 9 and verse 22. So important, let's put it on the slide there as well. That without shedding of blood, there is no remission. So, it's a principle then. These principles of sacrifice, that sacrifice is necessary following sin, and also a sacrifice for sin needs blood to be spilt. I think we've seen that nice and, nice and clearly in the very early parts of our Bibles, and also in the very late parts of our Bibles in the letter to the Hebrews. What about in the middle? Well, come and have a look at this in Isaiah. It's fairly close to the middle. Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53, it's a lovely chapter, and I'm going to read it all to you. So if you'd like to follow with me here in in Isaiah chapter 53. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes... We are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who should declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall belong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall many righteous, shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. The chapter is full of sacrifice language. Don't you think? It's all about sacrifice. But what's different, the different slant that's put on sacrifice in this chapter 
you probably saw there is that it's not about an animal it's about a man so just have another look with me uh, then at this Uh, verse 4 by way of example surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yes so in the same way that in the old testament the people of israel were told to sacrifice an animal and that was meant to be a symbol of them being sacrificed here we have a man being sacrificed do you see how the the ante has been upped and we're talking about a, a, a man being sacrificed there This then is the prophet in the middle of our Bibles continuing on this theme of sacrifice and the principles of sacrifice. Uh, But but here what's changed is no longer are we looking about animals being sacrificed. He's saying there's going to come a time when there's a person that's going to be sacrificed for sins. In the same way that animals were sacrificed for sins in the Old Testament, he says there's going to come a time when a person will be sacrificed for sins. And when we get to the New Testament, Jesus says, that's me. That's me that's being talked about here. Let me show you this. John chapter 1, please. John chapter 1. This is right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus' work. And um, and just look at the way uh, that he is introduced to people. And think about it in the context of what we've just seen from this chapter uh, in, in the prophet Isaiah. So John chapter 1 and verse 29. John chapter 1 verse 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He's speaking to people who understood their Old Testaments. They understood the work of the prophets and were familiar with those words we've just read from Isaiah chapter 53. And here, John the Baptist is saying, here's the man that the prophet was talking about. He's God's lamb, he's God's sacrifice, and he's here to take away the sins of the world. Do you see how this theme is being pulled through as we work our way through our Bibles? So how was Jesus going to take away the sins of the world? Well, chapter 3 of John's Gospel sets it out for us that he would do this by being a sacrifice. So John chapter 3, verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Well, Jesus then is the sacrifice for sin, and it's still in tune with these principles of sacrifice. Because the principles say that sacrifice is necessary following sin and everybody sins. And also says that the sacrifice for sin needs to include blood being shed. And so here we have then Jesus, the one that the prophet was talking about, that would come along and be the sacrifice for the sins of the world. Um, Colossians, please, chapter 1. Uh, the writer here, uh, the Apostle Paul, writing to the, to the church in Colossae, uh, 
refers to this in a quite a helpful way. So I'd like to share uh, three verses from this chapter with you as well. Colossians chapter 1, and join me please in verse 12, uh, just to see how he's, he's making the point here that Jesus' sacrifice saves believers from their sins. Uh, Colossians 1 verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Sounds good. How's that happened? Well, verse 13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom, so in Jesus, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. You see how this nice, neatly comes together uh, now in the later parts of our Bibles, not only continuing the thread of the principles of sacrifice, but also showing that Jesus, it wasn't just that Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice but it's just that Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice do you see the difference there I said at the beginning in this presentation I was trying to take you through a series of steps that if we start off by thinking that the biggest sacrifice that could be made is to lay down your life as someone else that we'd see that Jesus did even more than that and what we've seen so far is that Jesus laid down his life for his friends he laid down his life for his enemies and it's not just that Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice but that Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice the world was waiting for a means by which sin could be atoned for and Jesus came along and did that by being the ultimate sacrifice well you see the steps it's quite a remarkable sacrifice that Jesus is not just that he made but there's a peculiarity of the English language though um which is with the word ultimate. And if any, any people of the grammar police here, they'll, they'll be spotting where we're going with this because we tend to use the word ultimate in quite a, uh, in a laissez-faire kind of way that says ultimate means the best, you know, it's the biggest, the, the, the grandest of something, which, which is right, it is that. Um, but actually, the ultimate is also the last you know, that he is the ultimate. It's a bit like when we talk about the, the last but one is the penultimate, isn't it? So the ultimate is also, as well as being the greatest, the biggest, it is also the last. And that's also true here, because Jesus is also the last sacrifice that's made for sins. Now, I'd like to show you this uh, as well, uh, please. And, um, and to see this, we need to go to the book of Hebrews again and to chapter 7. Now, I'm going to stay in the book of Hebrews just for a little sequence of verses. Um, stick with me. I'm going to take you through, um, through a few verses here. And, and what I'm showing is when you piece these together, you see the point that's been made is that Jesus is, is the last sacrifice. And this explains why we don't have animal sacrifices now. Because Jesus, being the ultimate sacrifice, the greatest one, is also the last. So, Hebrews chapter 7 then, and take a look at this in verse 26. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. You see the point? Well, come and see it being developed here in chapter 9 and verse 11. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come 
by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption. You see how then the the writer here is making this point that Jesus is the last in a sequence of sacrifices. Uh, Come down to verse uh, 24 of this chapter. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once, in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it's appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him, he shall appear the second time without sin unto salvation. And finally, in this little sequence, chapter 10, please, and verse 10, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Right, you see, this this writer is at pains to point this out, that says Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice in the sense of being the greatest and the best and the biggest, and also the ultimate sacrifice in the sense that he is the last. The work is done. So, Jesus Christ, the ultimate sacrifice, well, yes, greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends, dot, dot, dot. The verse continues, ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. And here's here's where the rubber hits the road, you might say, because Jesus, yes, is the ultimate sacrifice he made the ultimate sacrifice but he made it conditionally he's the ultimate sacrifice and takes away the sins of those people who want to have their sins taken away it's conditional it's qualified he takes away the sins who those who seek to do what he asked jesus then he is the ultimate sacrifice He laid down his life for his friends, for his enemies. He was a sacrifice in the sense of fulfilling those principles that are established in the Old Testament. He was the last in a series of sacrifices. And he sacrificed himself for you. If you want to have your sins taken away. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, videos, information about what we believe and details of our meeting times, go to our website. Ormskirk Christadelphians.org.uk